Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to Nutrition Lifestyles. I'm Kim. And I'm Joanne. And today we have a mental health topic to discuss with you guys. So for the longest time, I thought I wanted to be a psychology major in college. Not me, girl. Not at all. (laughs) I was... I was interested in like Carl Rogers, Eric Erickson, come on, Joanne. Nope. Sigmund Freud, basically like all the popular psychologists. But one person who caught my attention to this day is Abraham Maslow. I'll say that Maslow was interesting. You know, his theories and whatnot was interesting, but that's probably just about it. That is it for you, Joanne? Wow. So for those of you guys who may not have heard about uh, Abraham Maslow, he created something called the Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, which is basically a popular theory about human intrinsic motivation. So a lot of the population may be aware of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but like my question is like, how does it relate to mental health? Because when I look at it, I see nothing but mental health printed all over it. This is true. And truthfully, as dietitians, we don't really get exposed to mental health um, in our training. You know, if somebody's you know, interested in practicing with people who have eating disorder issues, they may go and try to do an uh, internship rotation in mental health. But typically, no, we don't have exposure to this. Right, exactly. So just to go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs just a bit, like it's a pyramid and it's a tool that is used to guide individuals in reaching their full potential and experience Uh, to basically have like an increased quality of life. Right. So when you look through the five stages of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it all makes sense that these are the steps that make self-actualization attainable. So what can possibly get in the way for Mm. someone with mental illnesses to reach like the top, like the self-actualization piece? Right. And that is a really good question. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of my knowledge when it comes to psychology. Drop it. (laughs) Let me give y'all a quick review of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So it's basically in the shape of a triangle or a pyramid. And at the bottom of the triangle, it states your basic physiological needs, such as food, water, and shelter. And basically, these have to be met for you to move on to the next part of the of the triangle and when it comes to the um, hierarchy of needs. So you move from physiological needs to safety, um, to love and belonging, to esteem, and to self-actualization. Now, the thing with this theory is that you cannot move from your physiological needs to your safety needs unless your physiological needs are met. Exactly. Like you have to have your food, your shelter, and water needs met before you can move to safety and move all the way at the top to self-actualization. You have to meet each step mm-hmm. before you can meet, you know, your self-actualization needs per se. So we'll have a visual for you guys on our Facebook page so you guys can see what that looks like, okay? 
Right, exactly. So make sure that you guys hop on over to our Facebook page to see that. So while you were speaking, Joanne, I remembered it was last year, January, there was a dietitian. And I mean, this hits close to home because it's in our profession. There was a dietitian by the name of Tara or Tara. I'm not sure how she pronounced it. Mm. Her last name was Connell, who committed suicide. Mm-hmm. So the New York Post, Fox News, Oxygen, and like tons of other news platforms posted an article about her. I mean, it was so sad. She was actually a part of the DPG that I'm currently involved with. And I mean, it was sad, you guys. And if you're interested in learning more about this particular case, which we're not going to get too much in the details about because it's a sensitive topic, that will be on our Facebook page as well. You know what? I I actually remember this case. And I remember, and I said case, I actually remember this story. And I remember reading it and thinking to myself, and she even said this in the letter that she wrote. Like she on paper looked perfect. Yeah. You know, everything was going well for her. And um, and even with that, she was unhappy. Right. Yeah, because she had she had an open letter to her mom, right? Right, right, right. Wow. It it was it was crazy to read. And um, you know, it makes you wonder. So with us being dietitians, you know, we come out from our internships and our education. And are we really ready to confront, um, you know, clients or work with clients who have nutrition issues that are related to mental health issues? What do you think, Kim? Because I know my answer is no. My answer is a resounding no as well. And I mean, let me even say this just to be honest and open with you guys. When I do, when I started out, when I had clients or patients, mostly patients, that had mental health issues, and they also had nutrition-related issues, I was deathly scared as a new dietitian to speak with the clients. I didn't know what avenue to focus on. I remember I had one one, um, one patient of mine, I think I told you this off air, Joanne, she was pregnant, mm-hmm. and she had bipolar. Mm-hmm. And I just did not know how, I mean, I know how to deal with like a a pregnant lady, but to deal with the mental aspect of it, I was terrified. I wasn't prepared. I could see that. And I, I've said this before, like my exposure to working with mental health um, patients is, um, it was in a pediatric and adults were being serviced at that facility. And I had a lot of pediatric patients that they were sending to me for me to work with and help them on the nutrition side. But these people, they were these kids, I should say, they had just been admitted. So they had not seen no psychologist, no psychiatrist, no mental health person at all. And then I was seeing them. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's, you know, cool. I was able to get like their initial um, information and see where they were coming from. But any interventions that I could put into place or any um, changes that I could make I couldn't make any changes in in their behavior until, you know, they were seen by the psychologist or whomever it was that was treating them on the mental health side. And I don't feel like, you know, that's something that I realized until I started working with them that this really goes hand in hand. Like if your mental health issues are not addressed, I can't really help you as a dietitian. I really can't. Exactly. And then also while you were speaking it, It brought to my memory, like a lot of the medications, especially that these children are on for their mental Mm -hmm. issues, 
has a whole entire metabolic impact as well. Right. Uh, there was a friend of mine, her, they put her son on Ritalin and she was like, Kim, he's losing weight. He's losing weight. You know, he's under such and such percentile. Like, what What do I do? And I'm just like, girl, mm-hmm. let me pray for you first off. And secondly, let me refer you to a dietitian who is more uh, savvy than myself who can help you with this because I don't know. But, you know, us being... From the Caribbean. <laughs> I know what you're going to say already. Mental health. And you, I know you're going to agree with me. So I'm not even worried about that. Mental health is not even seen as a problem, as a medical issue. Am I right? You are 100% correct. They think it's, you're like demonic possessed. They think it's demonic possession that the person has. I mean, that's the first thing they go to. They don't even try to um, wonder. I'm, I'm pretty sure if a doctor gives anybody any kind of diagnosis, they're going to go home and they're going to try to pray the demons away. Nobody's going to try to take any medication. Nobody's going to try to do any of that stuff because in the Caribbean, and I feel that this it's this way in the Afro-American um, communities also, there's that stigma. That stigma remains with mental health issues. Right, right. That is 100%. I agree with this. I seriously do. And I'm trying to figure out, like, why is that? Like, why is it so taboo? I know um, it's a funny story. (laughs) I remember growing up and trying to explain to my parents when I was in high school and college, like, yo, these classes had me stressed out. Mm -hmm. I was taking um, AP. You ever heard of AP classes, Joanne? heard about it yeah I was taking AP classes so my dad was like oh you don't know what stress is you don't know what stress is basically like are you being beat by a man do you have five kids and you're a single mom you're not stressed (laughs) you know right so I is what they'd bring up Uh I believe it So definitely I can see like anything that references one's mental wellness is it's just shunned upon. But I think now for neo-Americanized um, uh, Afro-Caribbeans, it's viewed a little differently. Oh, you think so? I think so. I think, you know, your generation and my generation, we have a whole oh, yeah. different... Yeah. Definitely. Like the newer generation, um, millennials and, uh, and younger or whatnot, definitely. But I feel like the generation before... Um, you know, they stigmatize it. And I also think, I wonder if it's because they feel like it's a crutch. Um, like you've gone through so much as maybe crutch is not the word. I think African Americans and Caribbeans alike, they're in their mind. They think you've gone through so much that has been thrown at you as a black people, you know, black population, and you're able to endure it and whatnot. And this little thing you're telling me Uh, is giving you anxiety. You're telling me school's giving you anxiety. What is anxiety? You don't know what anxiety is. You know what I believe they think. That is true because, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to retract the statement I said. I said earlier that our generation understands it. I really think, I don't, I don't know what factors come into play, but Let me just tell you the story. I was speaking to someone at work and we were speaking about racial issues. She's also a woman of color. She is Mm -hmm. African-American descent. And Mm -hmm. she said to me, oh, honey, this is in my DNA. I'm resilient. I'm resilient. You know, I'm not going to let this get me down. I'm strong. And I was just saying to myself, huh, wow. 
So you don't believe anything can emotionally bother you. You don't believe anything can, you know, rock your peace. So Mm -hmm. I think it really all depends on maybe exposure and um, I, I don't even know what other factors. No, but you know, her saying she's resilient, that's something that I've even thought myself growing up. And I don't know if it was told to me and that's why I have that thinking. But, you know, we think of ourselves as being resilient. Like we're so resilient this could never affect us. You know, I feel like experiences that would be categorized as anxiety or events, I would say, that would be categorized as anxiety, people in our communities are not categorizing them as that and don't see them as anxiety. They just see it as a situation that you're going through and you'll get over it. Mm. When really it may be someone who is you know, has anxiety issues or may need to see someone in regards to that. You know what I mean? Right. Definitely. And going back to our ancestry, I don't, I don't want to start preaching now. I don't want to start preaching, but even just going into like a biblical perspective, I mean, you know, having a sound mind, you know, I mean, there are some Christians, non-Christians, whatever denomination you want to call yourself, there's things that are troubling to the mind, period. It doesn't necessarily all have to be a Satan attack. Right. And you know, you bring this up, the biblical aspect of it. I am so, I don't know, proud is what I would say since I don't know these people, but I'm happy with these pastors who are lately coming out and saying, I need a break. Like I was reading this article recently. This pastor was like, I need a break. I'm taking three months off. It's been 15 or 10 years. And I, you know, I'm preaching three sermons on a Sunday. I'm available 24 hours a day during the week to my um, congregation. And I need a break. And these pastors are coming out and saying this. And I feel like being that the African community, um, African-American community, Caribbean communities are very much into Christianity and going to church and whatnot, if a pastor Mm. talks about having mental health issues and needing a mental break, I think it's going to start being more accepted. Yeah, I agree. Even now the contemporary Christian music is coming out and, you know, speaking more about mental health and their lyrics and things of that nature. So Mm -hmm. I I think, I think it's a movement. I I really do think so. Yeah. So in today's episode, we're actually going to speak with a young man who is a future dietitian and have him share a little bit of his story. Um, It's actually his sister's story as it relates to mental health. So as dietitians, we all know about getting the proper nutrition, but mental health, we don't really know much about this when it comes to our training, the training that we acquire as dietitians. Right. So we feel like this is a subject that, you know, as much information as we can get, we would like to share it with you guys. So today we have a guest who happens to be a future dietitian himself. Um, his name is Anthony Duncan, and he started a social initiative with his friend called Dead to Silence. And this is a space for unspoken mental health issues. So welcome to Nutrition Lifestyles, Anthony. Yes, welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. Thank you for being here. So we're just going to jump right in with the questions that we have for you. So tell us why you and your co-founder started Dead to Silence. So the reason why we both started this because my sister committed suicide at the age of 18. Our condolences. And this happened about seven years ago. It's something that I didn't speak about. Um, I was a glue of my family. 
And so fast forward to last year, I started to speak out more about uh, my suicide and how, how it made me feel, how I went through depression, how I wasn't able to, to show my emotions as just being a male, being a person of color. Right. And my friend as well showed, shared those same sentiments where he was in his room for a whole week straight because he didn't know how to process his emotions. Mm. And so we both came together and we decided that, you know, we needed, I wanted to start something that has, brings awareness to these issues in our community okay. because our, our stigma, our, our, our method for dealing with things, go to church, pray about it. We don't mm-hmm. talk about it in the household. It's something that, you know, um, yeah, we don't want to have the, the embarrassment. We don't want to seem weak. And, you know, silence was, was seen as being strong. And so I feel like now we're, we're reversing that as far as like now uh, speaking up about different issues is a kind of strength. And so when you speak up, you're able to let it go and you replace mm-hmm. that, that hate, that, that um, fear, the trauma uh, with love. And so you're mm-hmm. able to communicate and connect other people. Just how they buy and I were able to connect and really get to a place where we can have love for each other, have brotherhood, and also see each other for who we are and we can help heal and develop self-love from there. So really... That's where we. That's what. We, that's why we started Death of Silence, and uh, we just want to promote, you know, self love and healing to to all people. So, Anthony, I'm I'm very um, touched that you and your co-founder created this space for unspoken mental health issues, and also, you know, you guys provide resources mm-hmm. for healing and support. So, um, with the unfortunate passing of your sister, which was your only sibling, right? Yes. So how did how did that impact like your diet and overall physiological health? I think at that moment I didn't really take much um, I guess in consideration to like my eating. I think just at that point, you know, I was just eating. I guess I was eating for comfort. You know, during that time, people would come over. You know, if somebody passed away, people come over with food. You know, because if you if you are going through a distress, you're not going to be able. You don't have the mental capacity to want to eat. Mm. And some people came over, so during that time, I really was diving into like comfort food. Um, you know, fried chicken, mac and cheese, sweet potatoes, all that you know, great stuff that you know we eat. Um, and so I definitely feel like that did add into um, me just um, don't say depression, but it just um, it just really was just there for comfort. It had me feel comfort for the moment. Um, but like I said. I was the glue of my family, so I really didn't um, deal with my emotions. And oh, so I just okay. kept going. I kept running from it. And then, you know, once you run, you, if you run from your issues, you run from stuff, um, you know, it's going to find you're going to be right back where you need to be. So <laughs> yes, um, I really didn't think about my eating until um, I started to change my eating habits last year, where I'm now I'm a vegan. And so I started to realize that, wow, you know, now since I'm eating a lot better, Mm. I'm starting to not really dwell on right. negative thoughts, and when I am feeling, you know, kind of dead down, I'm not running to food um, for you know for that instant gratification. I'm not running to Popeyes and get their six piece chicken with uh, mashed potatoes and, and uh, gravy. You know, okay. I'm actually able to really sit in my thoughts and to have a self self conversation with myself. You know, and also I'm eating, but then also the the food that I'm putting to my body has helped me think positive about the situation and not dwell on negative thoughts. So I think I. At that point, like I said, I wasn't uh, focused on my eating, but now I'm realizing that, you know, with, with certain things, we are, we dive into emotional eating and we look for food for comfort, for that instant gratification. Yeah, I definitely agree to this. Okay. So guys, as you know, I am a mother of a newborn, so my little baby is here with me <laughs> feeding. So if you hear anything in the background, um, that's him, just to let you guys know. Uh, Anthony... 
you've told Kim and I before that the relation between food and nutrition and how it impacts uh, mental health in general um, is the reason why, or one of the reasons why you became a dietetics major. Can you expound on that a little bit more for us? Uh, yes. So with just starting, you know, my healing process with um, dealing with like the loss of my sister and realizing that, you know, I wanted to break generate curses, I was in the process of changing my um, food, the relationship with food. And so at the time I was in the pursuit of becoming a doctor, working out of urgent care in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And it was um, predominantly like black and brown uh, people, people of color. Mm-hmm. And most people there were diagnosed with high blood pressure, high cholesterol, depression, anxiety. Right. And it didn't really hit me until I changed my behavior, with, with changed my relationship with food, is that, you know, um, it really affects how you feel and that, that knowledge is not being talked about more, being projected to the patients that, you know, maybe you could change some things you eat um, that can help you with, you know, your mental capacity or even help, you know, with uh-huh. diabetes and high blood pressure. So I realized there was a lack of representation when it came to African-Americans or people of color in the field of nutrition. So that was one big step as far as like wanting to, you know, be a pioneer. Okay. Um, one being a, being a black male and really promote this message of healthy eating and really helping dealing with patients that um, have these issues and help reducing that instead of running to medications and do it more on a holistic basis by changing the you know, I like the fact that you said that because I think, you know, as uh, two currently practicing dietitians and you assume to be a future dietitian, a lot of providers don't focus on the nutritional aspect of food as it relates to the brain and the mind. Right. So with that being said, you know, I was reading an article from uh, Nutritional Psychiatry And it's your brain on food. And it's from the Harvard Medical School. And it stated, quote unquote, for many years, the medical field did not fully acknowledge the concept between mood and food. Uh, We're not trying to get too personal here because we know that it is a sensitive topic. Mm -hmm. But it, it is also a topic that needs to be spoken more of. But did you notice anything in your sister's diet that could possibly have altered her mood? I I would say so. Uh, like I said earlier, looking back on it, um, you know, she definitely grants her food for emotional uh, health issues. Like she was suffering from also like she was diagnosed with bipolar and depression. Okay. And so during that time, okay. you know, she definitely, you know, wasn't eating fruits and vegetables. She was running to food to, to help her, to comfort her, to make her feel good. But like I said, food is, we use emotional food, we eat food as like an instant gratification. And so I do think that, you know, uh, if she would have altered the things that she was eating, it probably would help her feel a little bit better. But um, we didn't, we don't have, we didn't have that knowledge. Right. You know, we didn't, you know, have like a dietitian that we ran to, you know, we went to our doctor and stuff. And so they put her on uh, antidepressants and stuff. But I feel like um, her relationship with food wasn't a healthy one. And um, so that's, that's one of the, honestly, one of the reasons why I wanted to continue on this journey to really uh, promote that message in our community that, um, probably say it say it a lot, but uh, you know, want to work with patients that deal with depression, anxiety, and help change their relationship with food uh, and incorporate more mm. fruits and vegetables and stuff that helps with omega threes with uh, DHAs and EPAs that help with the how you feel and how you So Anthony, I like um the comment that you made earlier in regards to the fact that the black community, you know, we focus a lot on the praying parts of this. Like we'll say, pray for it for pray for her, pray for him. And we don't really focus 
on, you know, any kind of the, you know, the medical aspects of this and whatnot. So for right. you during your research, did you, you know, when you guys were creating that, that the silence, did you find that the black community was indeed, you know, more affected by this and less likely to, to seek help because of the, um, you know, the, the, the thinking that we have of praying for it to go away? Yes, uh, during the during the research uh, that we uh, found was that you know, a lot of people, because uh, we're, we're our history is rooted in generational trauma from slavery on, and we didn't have that space to really being able to um, speak about our issues because you know we were we're fighting a war, we we're fighting for our rights for freedom. That so that space to be vulnerable or space you know was was wasn't allowed. And I think going forward, um, we don't have these lack of representation in these fields of like therapy, having therapists, having dietitians um, that are really, you know, there to aid in the uh, the physical, uh, aid into the, the health aspect along with the physical aspect going to the doctor. And so I think the lack of representation has really been, has, has affected, you know, the way we view, you know, our mental health. Um, also our nutrition as well. And so I think now we're getting to a place where we're realizing that we want to break generational curses. And the way mm-hmm. to do that is by seeking therapy and also by, you know, really taking care of our nutrition mm-hmm. and eating foods well, that well, well. to that and reducing certain things in our diets that um, that really are more like the sugars and the processed food that we've been prone to eat, you know, during the holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas, or even if we were feeling like sad, you know, instead of doing that, you know, like, fruits or vegetables or go, you know, go run, go outside or just pick up a phone and call your friend um, and talk about it or even talk to yourself and meditate, you know. So, like I said, we really uh, now are at the point where we want to change those habits and really look to ways that we can build a community, self-love and community and community access with each other. Mm, I really like that, Anthony. I do. So, you know, mental health and wellness is a big trend for 2020 and you being a dietitian to be, are there any specific plans that you have on how you're going to um, connect the two dietetics or nutrition and mental health when it comes to your career? Yes, uh, I do. I'm, I'm at the beginning of my process. I just finished my first semester at NYU. And so during that semester, I really had the, the chance to really figure out like what my niche is, what I want to do. Because uh, originally I got into, like I said, mental uh-huh. health and also I'm seeing the lack of representation when it came to people of color and also men in the field. Amen, so now amen. that I'm here, how I can you know bridge the bridge two is by working with patients who um, are dealing with depression, anxiety, ADHD, dementia, or have these uh, or uh, or have these uh, term brain fogs um, that they're not able to sleep right. clearly, and just work with those patients to definitely um, eat eat better. You know, have a better lifestyle when it comes to their nutrition. And, you know, work with them instead of, you you know, working themselves off of like the medications and, and really changing the way they their emotional connection with food mm-hmm. and also like develop like wellness centers as well um, that geared towards, you know, mental health, um, also in nutrition, you know, because I feel like nutritionists are therapists, but on, on the food aspect. Facts. And so, you know, you definitely need a therapist to talk about different issues, but you also need you know, a dietitian that helps you, you know, uh, with that relationship with food that can help everything goes tight in hand also with the aid of like having a, uh, a practice, having a doctor, mm-hmm. you know, work on your physical health. Um, so that's, that's where my mind is now. So I'm still airing things out as I'm working through the, uh, my program, but I think that's where I definitely want to focus on, you know, dealing with patients who 
you know, have the, dealing with depression, anxiety, ADHD, um, and really work with their relationship with food emotionally eating. That's pretty cool. You know, I think that's something that we definitely need in our field. Yeah, I agree to that. Um, being the little experience that I have working with mental health and nutrition, I always, and I think I've said this before, it is impossible for me to do what I need to do if right. mental um, issues are at play, if mental therapy is needed, if I'm not doing it with right, exactly. the psychologist or mental health therapist, they would have need to, needed to have started that um, mental health therapy prior to seeing me because my end right. will not work without that. Exactly. It, everything goes hand in hand. I think one thing that um, is lacking and just in my experience that people were not in the healthcare field, we're not working together. We all work together. You know, with the doctors, dietitians, therapists, we're able to really, you know, um, help and to this person, give a, a person a full catalog um, as far as like, how we can help them physically and mentally, you know, to get to get them the way they need to go. And now, instead of working independently, work more with each other and build that community. Right. And I do, I do love the fact that you said that working with each other, you know, the collaborative team process, you know, mm-hmm addressing the mental, physical, emotional, spiritual needs of everyone. I mean, that's what makes a holistic um, human. So I know that Dead the Silence, which is the organization that you and your co-founder came together and formed, I know you guys have resources for individuals that may be suffering from uh, any type of abuse mentally, physically. So go ahead and let the audience know uh, where we can find these resources and where we can find you on social media. Um, so we have our social media pages on is Dead to Silence. Um, and also we have our website is www.deadtosilence.com. And, you know, we started this last year and throughout the year, um, we had our first event in July for Minority Mental Health Month in, in Houston, Texas on my sister's birthday, July 18th. And with those events, we want to bring out um, mental health therapists, mental health advocates, and really show um, that there are people of color in this field and bridge that gap of, you know, um, not having the, the common common question is, how can I find a therapist? And so what we do is we want to provide a different panel, different workshops, different talks, and we're developing, you know, a, a, a website where it's going to be where you can find these different resources for podcasts and and therapy and stuff so right now you know um, follow us at the silence and stay tuned to our what we have coming up next awesome well thank you so much anthony for taking time out of your busy schedule because we know that you know you just finished your first year and time is of the mm-hmm. essence so yes. we really appreciate that um, dead the silence that's d-e-a-d dead the silence.com for more information Um, As usual, remember to comment and give us five stars. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye, guys. Bye.